Today on the podcast, we have another episode of Ask Rachel, where you call in with your questions and I answer them. And we have a fun little mix of questions today. I talk about conception and the timing of deciding when it's right or when we feel ready to have a baby, just kind of how Dennis and I did it and what I feel about divine timing and spirit babies. We also talk a little bit about home birth and some tips and pieces of advice that I would like to share just what helped me prepare logistically a little bit for home birth. And we talk about organic produce and how to eat in a way that feels really nourishing for our bodies. It's a fun mix. Do scents evoke memories and transport you back to being on the beach during your favorite vacation? I know they do for me. Osea's Andaria Algae Body Oil smells like summer or the beach in Aruba, bottled with all natural uplifting notes of mango, mandarin, grapefruit, lime, and cypress. But it's not just about the elevated scent. This body oil is clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and deeply moisturize, leaving skin silky and soft. It delivers that coveted post-vacation glow, like you just returned from a tropical getaway. And right now, you can get 10% off your first order with our code YOGA at OseaMalibu.com. I love Osea's Andaria Algae Body Oil. I use it every single day and I have for so many years. It makes me feel silky smooth and just glowing. This body oil is rich but never greasy and clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity. It visibly firms your skin, leaving you more sculpted and toned. No wonder I feel so great after using it. But it gets even better. With Osea, you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Osea's products are clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified. They are a women-founded company that has been making seaweed-infused skincare for over 28 years. So bring on summer. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean vegan skin and body care at Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code YOGA at OseaMalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Head to OseaMalibu.com and use the code YOGA for 10% off. Let's jump in. Hi, everyone. Hello. Hello. Welcome to a brand new episode of the show. I am so happy you're here and I'm really, really happy I'm here. (laughs) I feel like getting to the podcast every week is a little bit of a journey right now, but all is well. Baby is sleeping soundly with dad. I just brewed myself a big cup of green tea. I'm sitting here in my little podcast corner feeling just so excited and ready to talk to you. We have an episode of Ask Rachel today, so I'm going to take some questions in a bit. But I thought I'd give a little life update because literally, if you listen to this show and that's the only way you connect with me, you just listen to the pod and that's it, then, I mean, probably you know, or it feels like I am living a giant roller coaster because every other week, especially as I sit down to record the show, I feel like every other week I'm like half crying on the podcast because things are so hard. (laughs) And every other week I'm like so excited because things are so easy. (laughs) And we are, I'm really happy to say we are in another easy week this week. I'm so grateful. I'm not taking it for granted. I know things change all the time. You know, having a newborn, it's like, don't, you know, you don't want to jinx it by saying that everything's fine and so easy going now, because the moment you do that, things are going to change. 
but we are very lucky to just have, we have more ease this week. Yeah, I don't know. Finn's just a really happy little dude. He is. He's just the cutest little guy. I love him so much. He's so funny looking. Like he's so cute, but he's like, he has his little ears that kind of stick out from the top of his head. He looks a little bit, I don't know. A lot of people are telling telling me he looks like my dad, <laughs> which is kind of true. Like he has that little baby old man look, you know, like he's just so like with his, like, I don't know, his hairline and his little ears, like he's just the cutest little dude. And, um, he's really funny now. He's found his hands, like he's discovered that he has hands and nothing brings him more joy than (laughs) staring at and like interacting with his own hands. It's really funny. So he does this thing where like he makes a fist and he puts it right in front of his face and just very intensely stares at his own hand. And it kind of looks like he's like in victory, like he has a victory fist, like he's holding up his fist, like he conquered the world or something. Like he looks really hilarious. And then because he can't really control his limbs yet, I mean, he's so tiny. So he'll do this like jerk movement with his arm and then his fist disappears from view and he goes, what? <laughs> and he looks around like, where did it go? Where did, where, where did it go? Where's my hand? Where is it? <laughs> and then it comes back into view and he's like, oh, there it is. And he does this like victory face again. I don't know. It's so silly and cute. And I spend so much time just like laughing with him. He's, he's, he's the cutest little dude. Everybody calls him Bear. Like his name is Finn. So when someone asks like, what's your baby's name? I go, his name is Finn. Like when I talk about him, it's Finn. But no one really calls him Finn. Like the whole family, everyone we know, like everyone that kind of flows in and out of this house calls him Bear. We call him Baby Bear, Little Bear, Little Bear Boy, Little Bear Dude. We, we call him Blueberry because someone started calling him Bear and then Berry. <laughs> it's just all like variations of Bear. And I'm really wondering, I mean, obviously with Leia also, we went through a lot of cycles. Like her name is Leia Luna. We called her Luna for a long time and then Looney and then Loonies. But her name is Leia. And now she, I mean, she really is Leia. But I wonder where we're going to land, like with his name, if he's going to be a bear, maybe, or if he's going to be a Finn, like it's really hard to tell. And I feel like personality wise, if you just feel the difference between those two names, they're very different, right? A Finn or a bear. But yeah, we'll see. We'll see where we go. But a reason I'm feeling really good this week also, I know is... I am really proud to say I am taking great care of myself. (laughs) And I say that proudly because it's not easy. And we know that it's not easy. And whenever I have a window, if it's not like, oh, it's podcast time, because then I'm, I'm using that window for the podcast. But whenever I have a window, even if the thing I want to do is like collapse on the couch kind of thing, I go to my mat. I really do. I go to my mat I feel really integrated back in my yoga practice. I'm on my mat so much. I actually started getting this. I get little wounds on the bottom of my big toes from dragging my feet back and from spending a lot of time in plank pose and just how I practice. It's something, and this happens to me only in times of like fairly intense practice. I get little wounds beneath my big toes So if you ever saw me at a shala, like back in the day, you would sometimes see me with my two big toes taped because I would 
I would have to do that. And I have those little wounds now. And I realized that yesterday and I was like, oh shit, I have these wounds on the bottom of my big toes. Oh, you know, because it really hurts. And then I went, oh, I have these wounds underneath the bottom of my big toes. That's so good. Like, that's so great. That means I'm really on my mat a lot. And it's been a long time, really long time. <laughs> so yeah, I, the fact that I have, uh, I'm taping my big toes now is a great indication that I'm really back in my practice, which feels good. And when I say back in my practice, I mean, I am on the mat every day, multiple times a day. Um, not that, oh, I'm, I'm here now doing chaturanga push-ups and advanced asana and, and handstands. Like, no, no, no. I'm still moving fairly gently. I've, I'm picking up the pace compared to a couple of weeks ago. I feel stronger in a lot of ways. But I'm, of course, still practicing in a way that's really gentle and, you know, right for my body and for where my body is at postpartum. But yeah, it feels good. I hope you are taking great care of yourself, too. It is really hard. And especially, especially, especially when you have a newborn and you want to just kind of do anything but, you know, <laughs> anything but oftentimes like anything but moving your body or doing the thing that really serves you when it's it's so hard to get to those places. And then oftentimes we feel guilty when we do that. I just decided I'm parking guilt at the door. Um, I had that a little bit in the beginning. So when Dennis puts the baby to sleep and we, he only does daytime naps in the carrier. So it's 100% contact naps in the day. And as soon as it's 10 o'clock, 10 p.m. is the magical time where all of a sudden he self-soothes and puts himself to bed, which is so bizarre. Literally, like he just... He can be wide awake. I feed him. I put him down and he will just like spend a few minutes like turning his head and like not crying, just grunting a little like, uh, and then he just puts himself to sleep. And then he does that all night. But in the day, hell no. <laughs> the day, if you try to put him in a stroller, in a crib, in a bed, like he loses his mind. He does not want to be anywhere aside from on top of me or Dennis when, when it's time for daytime naps. And when I put him down for his nap on me, he never cries. Like I, I am really, I mean, I'm mom. I have the boobs. Like I have a lot of advantage and uh, I know his cues really, really well. Like, okay, this is the window. Okay, let's go. And I, you know, put the carrier on and put him in it very gently. And I just know exactly what to do for him to just kind of gently fall asleep. And with Dennis, often there's a little bit of crying involved. Like he's there, he holds him, he's got him. It's not like he's in any way not getting the love and the care, you know, that he gets from me. It's all there. It just takes him a minute or two, right? And that crying, that one minute or two minute of crying, which is so important, like that Dennis has that time with him and that Dennis feels autonomous with him, that Dennis has his own role in his own way, like all of this is so important. But that those two minutes of crying and I'm like on my mat doing yoga in the beginning, I felt like the worst, like, I'm just like, oh, I could, I could be putting him down and he wouldn't have to cry. And then I'm like, hey, get a grip. <laughs> Babies cry because they cry. Like, he's communicating. This is not a bad cry. This is not a cry that's hurting him. He's not neglected. Like, he's with his dad. Everything is great. Stay on your mat. Like, literally, just stay on your mat. And I feel really proud of myself that I'm able to remain on my mat. And I 
continue to get to my mat all throughout the day. And I guess it's like second baby thing probably, but I do feel less mom guilt this time around. Um, With Leia, I felt so much, but I also think it's because I was away from Leia more. You know, I was working full time and or working overtime and this time I'm, I'm not. So I think that plays a role too. But yeah, that's our little, little roller coaster life update of the day is that things are great. <laughs> Probably when you tune in next week, I'll be here bawling my eyes out for some reason. But no, um, knock on wood, everything's really good. And um, yeah, I'm happy. I think we're going to take some questions today. So let's dive in with our first question. Hi, Rachel. Aloha from Hawaii. My name is Cass. Um, I'm currently seven months pregnant and have chosen to opt out of standard care and I'm planning a home birth. So I was just kind of wondering, you know, your top tips, advice, resources, or recommendations for first-time moms and their partners. Um, I just, I so love your podcast and appreciate your realness and insights. I laugh with you on my drive to work often and I just love you. So thank you so much for your time. Bye. Oh, hi, Cass. Congratulations. Wow. Seven months. How beautiful. Oh, I'm so happy for you deciding to birth at home. I really feel like birthing at home, I mean, for everyone who feels safe birthing at home, obviously, whenever we get into that stage of our lives and we're making the, we're making these decisions, the single most important thing is that we make a decision that makes us feel most safe, right? So that it's not about choosing a home birth just because, you know, or to prove a point or because we have an idea of like, this is going to be better, but really it's about feeling fully integrated in that level of trust of this is where I feel most safe and remaining in our safe spaces I think anyway is absolutely transformative when it comes to giving birth so yay a home birth so yeah I don't know what you've planned in terms of midwife or if you're planning a free birth or um, if you're going to have a birth witness or a birth keeper or anyone present there but something that I was really happy that I did before um, before I went into labor is I sat down with Dennis and with Michaela, who's my, my best friend, who was also present for the birth. And we just kind of talked the birth through, um, not in a sense of here's what's going to happen, but in a sense of we have no idea what's going to happen, right? We have no, none of us has a clue of how this is going to unfold when it's going to happen, what time of day, or even where we're going to be, right, when it starts. Like, ideally, we would be home, but, you know, it could technically, anything could happen, right? We don't know. So we took a moment to sit down, I think, yeah, pretty late, when it started to feel like, okay, we're, we're getting fairly close. And, um, and talk through, like, here is what I want. And I shared with them my dream scenario, really, like, here is, if I got to make a wish and just like my absolute dream scenario looks something like this. And I really talked that through from A to Z in terms of where I want it to be, what I could imagine myself needing, the energy that I want in the room, the energy I don't want in the room, everything from smells to lighting, uh, to temperature, to clothing, to food and drink, like everything that just kind of plays a part in that day. 
And also talking about the fact that, hey, this could be a three or four day process. It could happen in 20 minutes. You know, there's a lot of variables here. So just talking through some scenarios that that maybe could could come up, right? So I really felt like even when I arrive at a state of not wanting to communicate anymore, of really going inside of myself, that I know that the people who are present in that room, like they've got it. And for me, important things were like, who's taking care of Leia? You know, what's Leia doing? Because Leia's home with us. Really important to me that I didn't have to have kind of one eye on her, knowing she's fully safe, that she's fed, that her teeth are brushed, like all of these things. It might sound really small and like mundane and like, how is that important for a birth at all? But really, for me, it really, really was. And I knew that if I didn't feel 100% safe in that she's great, then I wouldn't be able to go inside of myself and find that bubble where all I focus on and is 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 my own body and and the baby, right? So we talked everything through. It was really helpful. And when we did, a couple of questions actually came up from them that I hadn't contemplated. Little things. Um, I remember Michaela asked like, hey, so when the baby comes, uh, what if Leah doesn't want to be in the room? Like, what do I do then? And I was like, oh, that never occurred to me. Like, I never thought that that could be a, a scenario that, that could happen. But of course that could happen. She could change her mind. What if she would get scared? Maybe I'm going to be really loud. Like anything could happen. And the fact that we got to talk through those scenarios just made me feel really grounded and really safe. And then we covered some absolute essentials, like the most important things that even if all else fails, if some crazy scenario happens, like here are the non-negotiables that are so important to me. And one of those things was, I want Leia to be there, right? Like I don't want her to be left behind or for her to miss out. Of course, that she wants to be there is the most important thing, but I really wanted her to be there and not miss it. That was one thing. The other thing was I really wanted the birth filmed and the moment, like his arrival, like that moment, I really wanted wanted it filmed. We missed that with Leia and it's something that I always regretted. We had like a clip of right before and then right after, but we missed the moment. And uh, that was really something that I really like, okay, this has to happen. You know, I really need someone with their eyes on like a camera or a phone when, when this happens. And, uh, and then we talked through everything and actually even wrote a checklist for the birth, which was really helpful. I had in our dining room, I had like my birth supplies set up in order from early labor to postpartum, like everything in order. And I can share that list if you want. It's really kind of cute. So I had, let me see if I can just remember without going downstairs to get the list because I still have the list. It's on our fridge. It's like a little memento from the birth. But everything from, I had a little knee pad, actually like a gardener's knee pad to use for the bathtub, if in case I would be on my knees in the tub. Um, a handheld mirror, you know, to see the baby when you're crowning. I had a birth comb you know, that you squeeze in your hand for acupressure, acupressure points to help with the pain, things like that. And then postpartum things like pads and some tinctures. And yeah, I'm missing a lot there. It was kind of like we had a lot of stuff there. <laughs> yeah, towels, of course, and like uh, waterproof pads for the mattress afterwards. And yeah, anyway, I'm, I'm blanking on a lot of stuff. But we had all of that written down. So it meant that there was no question around like if a supply was needed, like where would that be and what is it? 
right? So it was just, it just made me feel, these were all just like little things, but it made me feel really held and really supported. And I got to write down a list of here's everything that I want to eat. Here's everything that I want to drink. A list of like my top things that I would love. And it just made sure that when I was in it during labor, like all of that was available to me and they never had to wonder or ask. Um, They could just offer because I'd made it so clear before. So just having that little chat. And for us, I think we sat down for like 45 minutes, like, hey, let's talk birth. And ran through a lot of scenarios and wishes and wants and things I didn't want. Like I really got to communicate that. I want things to be quiet and as undisturbed as possible. Um, If someone is entering the space, you don't like burst in through the door, but you very gently, quietly open the door. I didn't want anyone to be invited into the birth space afterwards. So no crazy phone calls to anyone, you know, just wanted to stay in our little bubble. All of those things we just covered and... It made me feel even more supported, even though they were just little logistical things. And um, obviously, you know, to give birth, like you just, you just really need you (laughs) and your body. But I think taking real moments to really sit down, not only just to visualize what a dream scenario is like, but to have a safe space to communicate that so that the person that's going to be there in the room knows, like, here's what she actually wants and for me, the core of that was to be undisturbed. So even though the scenario didn't look exactly like how I thought in terms of dream birth, the core of it was still there. Like in all of those scenarios, I wanted to not be disturbed. You know, don't ask me questions. Don't make me go someplace else. Don't try to direct me or don't tell me what to do, right? Don't interfere, basically. Just hold me in loving presence if you're in the room. And that's exactly what I got. So just communicating that so that expectations are really clear, I think is the best, um, the best advice I can give. And then of course, staying really open to the fact that birth is a mystery. You know, we can have our dream scenario there and stay anchored in that, but we never know how it's going to unfold and anything can happen. So just that we're really open and also maybe talking to our birth witnesses about that, how vast that spectrum is and how even though this is what I want, you know, here are all the possible ways that it can go and that we're trusting and open and accepting in that, um, that anything can truly come our way, right? It's so beautiful. I had a hard time with that balance when I was planning for the birth, finding the balance between the dream and accepting that anything can happen because it really is both. We have to have the dream. We have to visualize so that we know what we're longing for right so that we invite that energy in and also at the same time just opening our arms wide going yeah well I don't know right accepting that we don't know and then wishing for what we really want somewhere in that there's a balance so uh yeah good luck it's gonna be so beautiful I'm sure um I wish you just a really 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 transformative healing safe birth Sometimes in life, skepticism can serve you well. It can save you money, keep you from wasting a day at a timeshare presentation, and help you avoid spreading gossip. To be honest, when I am faced with a new scenario, I usually tend to be a skeptic until something proves me wrong. And if you're like me, you can probably spot a too-good-to-be-true health hack from a mile away and read labels like it's your job. That's where ritual comes in. 
They know that every good skeptic deserves a multivitamin that exceeds your standards. Their clinically backed Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin has high quality, traceable key ingredients in clean bioavailable forms. Take two delayed release capsules per day that optimize your body's absorption and you'll get nine key nutrients. Rituals Essential for Women is USP verified, so you know you can trust what you're putting in your body. Only about 1% of supplement brands on the market have the USP verified mark, which shows the product contains the ingredients actually listed on the label. On top of that, Ritual multivitamins are vegan, non-GMO project verified, gluten and major allergen free, certified B Corp and made traceable. I take my vitamins every morning with breakfast. It's part of my daily ritual and I feel so good doing it. No more shady business. Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash yoga girl. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash yoga girl for 25% off. Hi, Rachel. This is Jackie calling from Denver, Colorado. Congratulations on your precious baby boy. And just sending all my love. You've truly been a source of inspiration, light, spirituality, and just a sign of hope these past few years. I've been listening since the very first episode, and I'm just, oh, I just love you. Okay. I would say my question for you would be, is, um, are you still wanting to continue growing your farm, like cows and other animals and or wanting to expand land. I'm just really curious on what you're, I know you're all in baby mode right now, but I know that's something that you talked about in the past. And I'm just curious where you're at with that journey and what you'll pursue when you're ready. Um, sending you all my love to you and your beautiful family. Um, love. Bye. Oh my God, Jackie. <laughs> Hi, this message just brought tears to my eyes. I feel your love and your excitement and your light. Thank you. Thank you for, for calling in. Um, what an awesome question, because I literally feel like half of my brain is wrapped up in the answer to this question all, all the time, all day. Our farm, I mean, this really is... It's funny how baby mode and baby bubble just kind of took everything over. I mean, that's just what happens. But I really do feel in a big way like I've missed out this season. Uh, and I haven't. I mean, nothing could have been different. Everything has unfolded exactly how it was supposed to. There's no way I could have done more than I did being so pregnant and with kind of a challenging pregnancy and then postpartum. Like, no, like we have we have what we have and that's okay. Not just okay, it's beautiful, but really, I so wanted to be here entering fall this year with animals on the farm. I really did. I had such a, I still had such a big dream of just opening the door, stepping out onto the land and being greeted by other beings than just us in the immediate family, right? So I would love to have, if I could just wave a magic wand, like we would have chickens. We would have had chickens like the day we moved in here, really. I waited so long for the snow to melt and for spring to come so we could finally build our chicken coop and get chickens. And then it just, we didn't have time and then we didn't have the funds and then we had too many other projects and it was just, okay, well, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. And then now summer's over and we're entering fall. And now I feel like, I feel like it's a stupid idea to 
get animals right before the dark and cold season begins because it's it's more challenging to care for them and we are starting this as t- total newbies like we never had any kind of farm animal before and everyone i talk to say just like wait for spring you know and it's easier to get chickens of course and everything in, in the springtime too so we're waiting for spring but if i could wave a magic wand we would have chickens right now we would have ducks i really want ducks <laughs> I really, 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 really so badly want ducks. Ducks are great for the garden. They're also such fun animals to be around. Um, they eat all the snails all and the snails. We lost so many of our veggies to the snails. I, I lost all of my zucchinis, all of them, literally. Like I, I, I had a big one that I was like really excited to harvest and I almost took it. And I was like, no, I'm going to give it two more days. And then I came back and, and it was completely hollowed out by slugs, like by these big, gross, wet slugs that come here <laughs> when it rains. It's been a really rainy summer. So we, there's more slugs and snails than usual. But yeah, we would have ducks. We would have chickens. I would love, love, love to have honeybees um so badly like I just oh, and I know Leia too Leia's really excited for honeybees we haven't been able to swing that and then the long-term plan I mean we would love to expand we would love to buy more land I think for Dennis this was a kind of a stretch like this amount of land he was nervous about it because obviously every inch of this land needs to be taken care of needs to be tended to and even without animals this year has been a lot of work tending to the land even just taking care of like weeds and we have a big green area that Dennis really wants to keep as a green area so mowing the lawn like he's taking care of that so intensely and pruning all the fruit trees and all the trees that need taken care of here and then we have huge areas of land where it's just it gets really wild so you can't access it and we have to really yeah, we have to take care of it constantly all the time and trying to find ways to turn that into something really in alignment with what nature wants it to be. Um, but also being able to utilize that land and actually be there. It's it's a really hard balance to, to find. Um, so Dennis has just been doing a lot of work also out there. And I think the idea of more land scares him a little bit because the more land you have, the more land you get to be the guardian of and you get to tend to but I would love to expand for sure and uh, the dream is to have a dairy cow at some point or a couple of cows but that's definitely like a future thing it would be a very steep learning curve not just to learn how to take care of a dairy cow but literally learning how to milk a cow (laughs) and having the time to do that yeah, I want to be there within five years. Maybe I can say that. Like, if I think a five-year plan for that is is pretty realistic. Um, but it's not going to be next season. But next season, absolutely. Chickens, ducks, and honeybees. Like, that's that's the goal. And I think, you know, I would love to be more self-sufficient. And we are on the road toward that. Like, we haven't, you know, bought a potato, a carrot, a, an onion, Um, a thing of lettuce, a single herb. What else do we have in abundance? Leeks, beans. Oh, we have these amazing like sugar snap peas and these purple string beans that are just, they're the most delicious beans like you'll ever eat. They're just amazing. Yeah. We haven't bought any of that since the season started. 
Um, but it's one thing being self-sufficient on like vegetables and root vegetables in the summer and fall season. I would love to learn and get better at preserving that so that we can really make it stretch and keep it through winter. Like that's really my my goal. And as we speak, I mean, tomato, tomato season is just peaking right now. I have the whole fridge is just bursting with tomatoes. I have a massive basket, which is pounds and pounds of tomatoes sitting at the door. And I need to process them. I want to make them into just basic tomato sauce and preserve that. I have a little pressure canner that I want to use and I just, I'm not getting to it. It's such a big project. And I know at the end of the day, probably what's going to happen is what I did last year is I just freeze the tomatoes whole, (laughs) which you can totally do. Freezing tomatoes whole actually is pretty great. You just throw the tomatoes into whatever you're cooking if you want tomato sauce or a tomato base, or you dump a whole bag of frozen tomatoes into a pot and just add a dash of water and put it on low heat and it will cook itself into tomato sauce or crushed tomatoes, right? And we eat them with skins and seeds and like I don't take any of that away. So that's how I ended up preserving all the tomatoes from last season. But it's not really like a smooth way to do it. It takes up a lot of space. You really need a lot of freezer space to be able to do that, which luckily we had this season. But so that's just one example of an area I feel like I'm kind of not failing in, but like I would love to have more time just to get to that. And I know if we had a bigger garden this year, if we had animals, if all of those things happened before the baby came, probably I would sit here right now freaking out a little bit. (laughs) I would not have been as peaceful of a postpartum time, just having to be out there tending to so much more. So in one way, I'm really glad and grateful that we had this peaceful year. But in one way, I feel almost like we missed the season, you know, which we didn't. It's been beautiful. But let's say in in five years, if I get to make a little five-year dream plan, um, we would be as self-sufficient as we can be when it comes to vegetables and dairy for the whole year. Ooh, that sounds, that sounds like a challenge (laughs) that I'm up for, like totally ready for like berries, apples, pears, you know, the fruit trees that we have here on the farm. We have many now. We planted a lot this year and, uh, yeah. And then you add like to your beautiful vegetable garden, you add a dairy cow to that. I mean, you're pretty set, you know, if you have the time again, you need the time. I, I do follow these amazing people online. The, my favorite people to follow on Instagram are homesteaders, like hardcore homesteaders that literally just live and breathe homesteading. Never go to a single grocery store. <laughs> Everything they, they eat comes from the land that they tend to. And I see them do this with like seven kids. A lot of them have a lot of kids. <laughs> Seems to go hand in hand with homesteading. It's like having tons of kids. And they do it, right? So it's not really about me not having time. It's just, it's a lifestyle thing, right? And our lifestyle is just a little little more mellow right now, which I'll, I'll take. But yeah, maybe soon or sometime one day, we'll be able to invite people here to the farm, which would be so cool. Like I would love to create something where we can actually build more community here. Maybe have some offerings here. Maybe teach some classes here. Maybe do some fruit picking here. I don't know. We'll see where we go. But thank you for asking the question, Jackie. And nice to meet you. Let's go to the next one. Hi, Rachel. My name is Anne. I've been following you, listening to you for 
ever, it feels. Um, way back years and years ago, uh, I used to borrow my friend's cell phone so that I could look at your Instagram page because I didn't have a smartphone. Um, I feel like we're longtime friends. <laughs> Um, but my question today is about organic everything. Um, you always reference using organic things all the time, and then here in the United States, being organic doesn't really mean a whole lot. And so I guess I'm just wondering if there are good resources you know of to find good organic products, or if there are certain things that you just make and grow yourself, therefore they're organic. Um, just just a good way to find good organic products that are actually good for us. Um, keep doing the podcast. Keep doing your thing. I love hearing your stories. Thank you so much. Bye. Oh, hi, Anne. Thank you for calling in with this question. I got to say, it's. I think it's it's pretty hard, to be honest. And one of the reasons I want to grow as much of my own food as I can is exactly this. It's the single best way to be able to trust that the food you're eating is actually not laden with pesticides and things that aren't good for us. And uh, of course, there's a million benefits to growing your own food, not just it being organic, you know, but um, it's definitely up there and the, one of my main reasons of wanting to do that. And I've had now, you know, since I started becoming really adamant about buying organic foods, uh, I've had that experience in Aruba and I've had that experience in Sweden. I haven't really, you know, I've never lived in the States properly. I spent, you know, long stretches of time in the States and worked in the States, had boyfriends in the States, you know, and spent months here and there. But I've never lived and had my own household in, in, in the U.S. So I can't really direct you into the, you know, toward the the, the specific places to go or, or uh, anything like that. But having had the experience in Aruba and having had the experience here, it's so interesting when I started, you know, really deciding that we're buying organic. And if we're not, if they don't have it, we don't buy it. That was our rule for a really long time. When we came out of mold illness and just seeing the amount of glyphosate that Dennis, me and Leah had in our systems. You can do these tests. Uh, so let me remember the lab. We did our testing with Great Plains. It's a lab, I think, in New Orleans or something. There's lots of ways where you can do that testing just to, to kind of, if you're wondering. The amount of glyphosate we had in our bodies was it was, a, it was a joke. It was absolutely a joke. And here I was, you know, being vegan, eating, thinking I was eating the healthiest foods on the planet, but a reason that we had such massive amounts of glyphosate in our systems was that I was eating a massive amounts of, you know, glyphosate sprayed vegetables, um, lettuces, kales, and, and foods overall. I also think the fact that we ate so much oats, oats is one of the kind of worst culprits when it comes to glyphosate. But anyway, it was just sky high. Um, and I remember Dennis had it worse, the absolute worst. And I made this decision, okay, for the family, we are, you know, whenever we go to the grocery store, we're buying organic. And if they don't have the thing we want in an organic option, we are not eating it. <laughs> That's kind of a harsh statement to make, especially if you live in a place that doesn't have a lot of options. Like Aruba had very little options. And we just became very limited in what we could eat. So the fruits that were okay were fruits that were grown on the island, um, I could always find organic papaya. I could always find organic mango. 
there was always a little section at the grocery store where I could find like organic apples and, and things like that. But then they were imported from the U.S. And as you say, it's really hard to trust those labels overall, really hard. And they can get that label being adjacent to a non-organic farm, meaning they still get sprayed with the residue of everything that gets sprayed in the conventional farm. And it's just so challenging once you go down that rabbit hole of, of, of trying to do this perfectly, you know, which is, is it's, it's impossible. Yeah, so for a while, we just ate certain things, and then we stayed away from certain things completely. And then moving to Sweden, here it's the same, but it's kind of in reverse. Like, I can always get organic apples here. I can never, never, I, I, I mean, I can't even really get a papaya <laughs> or a mango, but I would never be able to get one organic, right? And then the question I started asking myself is, should I be looking for these kinds of foods? Like there's a reason I can find organic tomatoes here. There's a reason I can find organic potatoes here because they're grown easily where I am. The reason I could find that in Aruba is because they were grown there, right? So should I be in Sweden eating mango and papaya overall? Or should I be anywhere in the world eating the majority of my foods out of season? And these were things I hadn't really contemplated before. But once you really get into organic farming and farming overall, it just starts to make so much more sense that eating locally and eating seasonally is the best way to ensure that the food you get, not only that it's less sprayed, you know, if it's grown in the season it's supposed to be grown in and you're eating it from where you live, um, finding that organic, but it hasn't been transported across the whole entire world, contributing to so much crap so just staying as seasonal as you can, I think is a really good idea. And then I try to opt for foraged foods if I can. So for instance, right now, if I'm making Leia a smoothie, I make her a smoothie with blueberries because I know those blueberries, the Swedish blueberries, they're foraged. They're not grown anywhere. They're literally from the woods. Um, so they're much healthier than the conventionally farmed organic blueberries. Like I, I get her foraged blueberries. Same with mushrooms. If I'm going to opt for mushrooms, I opt for chanterelles or I opt for something that, that grows abundantly in Sweden uh, versus getting whatever kind of mushroom is more, you know, more common to eat maybe and you find in recipes, but it doesn't grow naturally here in that sense. And then I think the single best thing that we all can do is to figure out what kinds of farmers and what kind of small scale farms are present in my own local area. And maybe you have to expand your local area a little bit more than like a 20 minute walk from your apartment, right? And maybe it's your local area is like an hour drive or maybe even two hours driving. What's available here? And when you start looking and you're going to have to ask around and you're going to have to Google and you're going to have to research, but when you start looking, you're going to find that there's like a, there's a honeybee farm over here. There's people who, who make their own honey. And it's like going to be this local, cute, little older couple who's done that for 40 years. And it's incredible, right? And you're going to find a small scale dairy farm somewhere where there's people who take really amazing care of their animals, where it's not factory farmed, when it's really more how it was back in the day, where you went to a place and you got your milk there and you went to another place and you got your honey there. And you went to the vegetable vegetable farmer or the market and you got your vegetables there. So just figuring out what's actually available and then maybe making the commitment to actually go there. Right? So we have, where we get our dairy, our cousins have a dairy farm. 
and it's a drive. It's harder for us to make it now since we have a baby that hates the car. But knowing I can source all my dairy there, maybe I have to make that drive once a week, but it's worth it. It absolutely is. And if there is a small scale farmer that you can support, not only by making that drive, of course, but with your dollars as well, like that's going to make a difference for them and they'll be able to expand their business, hopefully, eventually. And with time, we might have an easier time sourcing our organic foods um, and our A2 dairy, if that's what we want, or raw dairy or however we're sourcing it, but absolutely organic. So yeah, I, I don't know, I feel like I'm rambling a little bit now, but growing as much as you can on your own, getting whatever you can get that's foraged, if it's foraged responsibly in an, a place where it's abundant, and then finding out what farmers live nearby. And what I think is really cool if you live, especially if you live in the city, I bet you you can find five people in your own community or five families or go to your kids' schools and talk to people. Like who's interested in sourcing this one kind of produce or this one kind of food that you want to get organic? And then you can kind of pull together and you make one trip per week and then you cycle that through so that each family only goes once every five weeks. And you make it into a community thing, right? Where you actually share and you actually kind of start spreading the word a little bit about how important this is, not just for our own bodies and our own health, but obviously for the health of this planet. The fact that we have to call organic foods organic versus calling all the other foods pesticide foods is is so backwards, right? And um, yeah, that's my only advice. I hope it helps just a little bit, but truly I struggle with this as well. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hi, Rachel. My name is Hannah. I'm from Niagara Falls, Canada. Um, firstly, I want to say congratulations on your gorgeous baby boy. I'm just so thrilled for your family. <clears throat> I'm currently 32 weeks pregnant with my second child, and my son will turn four in September. Uh, you and I actually shared a due date before. I had miscarried in November, but I was lucky enough to conceive very shortly after, um, bringing me to my upcoming fall delivery. Um, as my labor approaches, I, I'm finding myself building some anxiety around how to share my love between two children. My son's been my entire world for the past four years, and him and I are very close. So I worry about him feeling the shift in a negative way or feeling suddenly less important. I'm wondering if maybe you can share your experience in transitioning to a mother of two, and if you have any advice in ensuring that our firstborn always knows just how incredibly special he is. And lastly, uh, thank you for sharing your journey, your story, your life with us, your true inspiration. And I love you. Thank you. Hi. Oh, thank you. Thank you for asking the question. I literally ask myself every single day. 
this really is, and I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to answer this question in a way that's, that, that kind of uh, supports or, or helps you because I struggle with this. I really, I have to admit, I really do. And I did not contemplate this a lot beforehand. So maybe it's a really good sign that you're spending a lot of time thinking of this now. I sort of assumed that this is going to be easy. You know, I didn't think I would feel torn or I would feel like somehow worried that she's not getting the attention or the presence that she really needs. I, she's been my whole world for six years. You know, my whole entire universe has literally revolved around her and the mere idea that it wouldn't anymore just felt strange to even contemplate. Like I didn't even think about it. And then comes this baby boy and I had completely forgotten how all-consuming a newborn is and life with a newborn. And there are so many times in a day, and this is the worst part, this is for me the hardest part, is he needs to sleep, right? And even when he's not sleeping and he's nursing, the energy around a baby is very different than the energy around a six-year-old. Whereas he just needs a calmer, more mellow, more quiet space around him almost all the time. Right now he's starting to have more like longer waking windows and he's really smiley and laughing and we're starting to be able to interact and have more kind of higher energy around him. But especially the first weeks, first months, like what you really want around a newborn is kind of peace and quiet, right? And also what you want as a postpartum mother is kind of peace and quiet, And Leia is the loudest person in every room, wherever she goes. (laughs) And it's what I love about her. It's one of the things I love most about her. She is the loudest person. She is the bravest person. She's the, she takes up the most space, right? She's so unapologetic in her presence and she talks all the time. She's constantly storytelling and she's so excited about life, about everything, you know? So she's just constantly there, you know, with her big, big, big presence. And that energy hasn't always been the right energy for the baby. Um, So oftentimes I'm trying to put him asleep and she runs in the room and, you know, accidentally slams a door or kind of yells something out really excitedly. And I kind of thought that, that I would be okay with that, you know, because I don't want her to change who she is. I, I just, I thought the baby would kind of meld into our vibe a little more but that's not how I feel. I actually feel like, hey, this baby needs to sleep when he needs to sleep. I need things to be a little bit more quiet in the house now than I did before. Um, I need everyone to just kind of keep a more grounded, calm vibe around the baby, especially around sleep time. And that's like, you know, we all want that for our little ones. So the amount of times in a day where I have to remind her to kind of keep it down is breaking my heart. It's really totally breaking my heart. And I'm trying to find ways to communicate that in ways that don't shrink, make her shrink or make her um, try to be smaller than she is in her presence uh, or where she feels like she's done something wrong or where I accidentally shame her, right? And I can kind of tell just how, you know, she's, she's trying really hard. And if she just exclaims something and then she'll immediately go, oh, sorry, did I wake the baby? And I'm like, I don't want her to have to feel like she has to say sorry for being excited in her own home. And so I really struggle here. Like I really, really do with this like very gentle way of bringing her energy to a level that works with a newborn. And I know this is a phase. This is just this early time. But 
we have, yeah, I, I, I really have a hard time. And then I feel like when I'm with him, which is all the time, or I'm nursing him, or I'm bouncing him, or I'm holding him, I want to be with her as much. Like I want to be 100% present with her. But when he's there, I just, I can't, right? Because at any moment we could be engaged in whatever. And at any moment he starts to cry and I have to energetically kind of leave. Yeah, like right now, he's crying. One moment. So funny, as I said, I have to energetically leave. I kind of had to do the same for this podcast. And uh, he's eating right now. And to be honest, he doesn't like it if I'm not 100% energetically there. <laughs> so he's looking at the microphone right now. He's looking at me like, who are you talking to? Yeah, who am I talking to, huh? So I'm going to pause this recording for a little bit and I'll be right back. Okay, so I'm back. Um, <laughs> let me see if I can find my train of thought again. No, I was saying that so every time when I'm with Leia and he's there, uh, all of a sudden he needs me and I have to sort of shift my awareness and my attention and I can't be 100% present with her anymore. And I find that so challenging. And my only ways, I mean, the things that I've, that I've implemented that makes this work, at least for, for us in our family, is that rather than try to make Leia change, rather than try to control her or make her, you know, stay really quiet or have to remind her all the time or kind of, because I don't want to be doing that. I don't want to constantly... I don't want her to have to hear like, hey, let's keep it down. Hey, let's keep it down. Like, hey, let's be quiet. You know, it's, I don't want her to have to hear that all day. Is that when the baby needs a really quiet space, I walk to a quiet part of the house. And instead of just trying to make her, you know, change. What happens though, is that she wants to be with me all the time. So oftentimes she'll follow, <laughs> you know, like I go upstairs or I go into the bedroom or I go somewhere else. And then two minutes later, she realizes like, oh, where did, my, where did mama go? You know, and then she comes, comes to where I am. So I'll communicate and I'll say, hey, you know, uh, mama and Finn need, we need a little quiet time now. So I'm going to go over here for this long, right? I give her like a little framework, of where I'll be and I'll be back or, you know, or, you know, yeah, Papa will be here or um, I'll come downstairs in 30 minutes or I just, I just kind of give her a little framework of how long it's going to be. And then I make my way to the quieter part of the house. And sometimes I have to set a little boundary. Like I'm going to need you to stay downstairs with Papa now so that mama can be upstairs with Finn because Finn is not so happy. You know, I just try to make it really clear. Um, and then I do the very best I can to make sure I have alone time with her. And that is, it's harder than I thought it would be. And it's going to get easier and easier, the easier, the older the baby gets, I know. But it can be literally something as like me reading her bedtime story at night before she goes to bed and really doing that. Or, you know, I take this kind of section of the day, like we cook something together or I brush her teeth and help her put on her PJs or um, we go down to the lake in the afternoon, just her and I, and we leave Finn with, with Dennis, that we have some kind of really dedicated alone time where it's just us and no distractions, where I'm just really completely immersed in her. And I find oftentimes that also means being physically there with her. 
Um, so in those windows that we have, I just, I spend a lot of time just holding her fully the way I can't when Finn is in my arms, right? So really like picking her up and just like squeezing her with my entire presence there. Uh, because I realized since I was pregnant, you know, she couldn't, she hasn't been able to sit on my lap for so long. And I really think she needs that full body, full heart, full, full presence from me that she used to get constantly all the time. And now um, she doesn't get as much. So that, and then I try really hard to just stay as present with her as I can when she's speaking. So if she's in the room, I put my phone away. I'm not there doing anything else. Um, if she's there, I try to keep conversations really centered around her. Not that she has to be kind of on the side of me and Dennis figuring stuff out. Like we have other windows in our day. Now that she's at school, she doesn't have that many hours awake at home, right? It's like after school, before bed, we're talking four hours or something. Literally, she's home. Well, five hours. Yeah, she's home at three. She goes to bed at eight. So we have five hours in a day with her. And I would like to make those hours as much as possible about her. And I try to remind myself that it's a good thing to have a sibling. It really is. It's a good thing to have a sibling. Like all in all, this is a really positive experience for her. And however much it kind of pains me, I actually think it is a good thing for her to know in a certain way that she isn't the only center of the universe the way she has been. She's always going to be the center of my universe, but to to learn how to share space, to learn how to share time, to learn how to exist in a dynamic where there is more children present than just her, I think it's going to bring about really good qualities in her too. So yeah, just hang in there and you're going to find a way, the way I will, I think in a few months, like we're going to have a flow that feels a little more effortless but right now it is a challenge. And it's also been really helpful to invite more people into her world. Like if you have people in your family that can be more present with her, that they are. Um, you know, so my best friend and Leia, like they are closer than they ever have been. So whenever she visits, it's like her and Leia, they're, they're the team. Uh, my mom has been spending a lot of time here and she's just 100% there with Leia all day when she's here. My brother is just more, much more there, like playing actively, spending time with her than before. So if you have another person that you can invite into the equation to have more dedicated time, I think that's also a really beautiful thing to add, that she gets 100% of someone else's presence, you know. Uh, so it's not like half of your presence and half of your husband's presence or your partner's presence and then a little bit of someone else's presence, but that they have people that they are, that are fully there with them. But yeah, if anyone else has any advice in this area, please share it with me because I really truly find this I really find this challenging. I really do. And I can't even imagine having 3, having 4, you know? Maybe it gets easier. Cuz it's also not like our love shrinks in any way. It's just our love expands to hold them all, like I think. But not being able to clone yourself to be in multiple places as at once as a mom is a, is a hard thing. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. 
Download the new Bumble now. Okay, we're going to take our final question of the day. Hi, Rachel. I'm calling you from Denver, Colorado. This is Megan. Um, I've been following you for a long time. I love everything that you do. I send it to all my friends all the time. I'm so inspired by you. Um, And I'm also really inspired by the relationship that you and Dennis have. My husband is a lot more of the playful and joking type one, kind of like Dennis is. Um, And we're coming up to a point in time where we need to genuinely decide if we're going to have kids and when. I am a mothering type of person. My friends literally call me Mother Megan. And I'm just wondering what that looked like for you and Dennis, the conversations that you had about when slash if we're ready to have kids. Um, and I've, I've listened to, I think, every single one of your episodes, so I know the story a little bit, but I'm wondering if there was more conversation um, before you went on that retreat and everything um, and just how you knew if it was the right time or if there is such thing as right time. Love you. Thank you. Bye. Hi, Megan. Oh, thanks for calling in with this question. You know, we've gotten this question quite a lot of times, I feel, over the years. And I wonder if we are a little bit just different from the norm. Because I feel like I feel like having a having a baby, deciding to have kids, most people kind of sit down and talk about that. <laughs> right? It's kind of like a big big, massively life-changing endeavor to embark on, right? And um, most people seem to have the common sense of like, okay, let's talk about this. Are we ready? Is it something that we want? How is our lives going to change after this? And just having that solid conversation. Dennis and I didn't didn't do that. (laughs) We just, we didn't have that conversation. We never yeah, I I honestly can't, we we always just knew we're going to have kids one day. That's it. Like we always just knew we we're going to have kids. He knew I've always wanted kids. I mean, I I'm, I was one of those people. If I would have gotten accidentally pregnant as like a young teen or something, I would have definitely been a young mom. Like I always, always, always wanted babies. And, um, and I told him that really early on and he was excited about kids too. But we never, you know, before we got pregnant with Leah, we never had a moment of saying, hey, I think we're ready. Let's go. So we actually didn't know if we were ready. It was kind of like the universe brought us that pregnancy. It was, it really felt like a divine conception just kind of took place at the perfect time. And we realized we were pregnant and we were both just over the moon and it happened to be, I don't know if there is such a thing as a perfect time. I mean, if I look at it objectively, it was kind of a, kind of a crazy time to be pregnant because we were renovating and building out the studio and starting a brand new business and we had a lot of pressure tons of work tons of things to that we were trying to figure out we weren't in a super calm solid place and I don't know if we ever are like truly uh, if there is such a thing such a thing as the perfect time I really think our babies choose when they arrive. Like I think we all have the spirit babies that we're meant to have if we're meant to have babies and we want to have babies. And that I think it's all fated and all predestined and that if you want to be a mother and you're meant to be a mother, that you have a little spirit baby up there. Leah says she was on the moon before she came down to earth. She really claims this very solidly. And she'll talk about it as if like that's true for everyone. (laughs) 
know, like that's just like, that's where babies are. Babies are on the moon and then you come down into your mommy's belly. And she talks about it that way. But I kind of believe in that. I believe that the spirits that were meant to channel and bring earth side, that they're, they've always been with us, right? That they're always kind of waiting for, for the right time for them. And I think that has way less to do with what is our exact, you know, work situation, or do I have time off? Or are we really solid in this house? Or like all the logistics that we're always trying to figure out and get perfect. I think it's less about that and more about what kind of emotional state am I in? Like the right time is not the time where everything is perfect and we have that really great looking nursery that we can paint in our house and we have, you know, X amount of money in the bank accounts and we have done X, Y, Z that we wanted to do with our lives before we have babies. Like, I don't think it's about that at all. Obviously, a fundamental sense of of having what we need. Obviously, when I say money in the bank account, I mean money to, to be okay, but we don't need to be millionaires or reach a certain state, you know, to, to have a baby. But it's more about our emotional place. Like, am I, am I solid, right? If we want to think about, think about it in, in, in that sense. Do I feel grounded at this time in my life? Do I feel safe in my body at this time in my life? Am I working through major shit right now? Am I working through major trauma or is stuff unraveling for me? That might not be a great time, right? But if we feel like just like a general sense of groundedness, I think the time is, is now. And just because we decide we're ready to have a baby doesn't mean that we, we have a baby right away, right? And it's so funny how that happens, how some people just get pregnant right away and some people, it takes a really long time for no apparent reason. And some people struggle and it takes even a longer time and some people can't have, have kids and it's just so mysterious, the whole process around conception, it really is. And that's why I really like to believe that it's more in the hands of God, in the hands of nature, in the hands of the universe, in the hands of our, of our spirit babies. There is a beautiful book called Spirit Babies that I really recommend for anyone who's on the conception journey. So that's a beautiful read if you want to dive in. But yeah, funny that you say that your husband is a little bit like Dennis and a little more goofy and playful. Like, it's so true. And that is, I mean, he's goofy and playful to like a fault. <laughs> We actually, you know, right now in this state of our marriage, having two kids for the first time, kind of navigating a new dynamic in our family, I've had to really sit him down and go, hey, like, I love that you're so funny. Like, he's the funniest guy. He makes us laugh all day long. Like, his sarcasm, his sense of humor, like, it's who he is. I'm like, I love you. I love your sense of humor. I love that you make us laugh every day. But I need you to also be the bad guy. Like, I need you to not always be the fun, playful parent. Like, I need you to sometimes lay down the law. <laughs> because it's so easy when one of us is, like, the more easygoing for the other person to end up, like, the bad guy. And we've had a lot of those things come up recently where I feel like I've had to set boundaries and, like, you know, like, Leia, it's bedtime. It's a school night. No, we're not having ice cream after dinner every single day. No, you know. And I'm the one kind of doing all of that. And then he gets to be the fun, playful one where they like sneakily have ice cream on the way home from school. And they do, you know, there's less rules around Dennis. 
And I've really had a need now with baby where I feel like I have less <laughs> I have less say overall, like when it, especially when it comes to Leia, because I'm not as present with her. Like he's the one taking her to school and picking her up and doing all the activities and all that stuff. I've had to really kind of ground him and like make him also be the less fun parent. Like give me some space to be the fun parent also. <laughs> but I really think that's kind of how it works. You know, like we get this, the partner we're supposed to have and then our kids get this like beautiful mix, you know, of everything they need. But yeah, yeah, I definitely, definitely have the playful fun <laughs> husband. Oh God, if you guys heard like the amount of inappropriate dad jokes my husband makes all throughout the day, like they, they don't, they don't stop. Like they literally don't stop. And Leia even sometimes she'll say something and he'll make a joke out of it. And she'll get, she'll be like, "Mm, daddy, I need you to not be sarcastic right now. I'm trying to tell you something. (laughs) She's six years old. (laughs) He's like, okay, sorry, sorry. I'm listening. I'm listening. I'm here. And then he's like, (laughs) But yeah, no, I hope, oh, I wish you just so much luck and lots of blessings on this conception journey and trust that it will happen at the right time. Like whenever it happens, that will be the right time and you guys will make the best out of that timing, you know, the way, the way we all do. And I'm so happy we had Leia right at that time. I really am. It was the perfect time. Everything that felt stressful then turned out to be just exactly the way it was supposed to. And this pregnancy now, you know, was also probably the quietest my life has ever been. And that feels like such a blessing that I got to experience two very different energies throughout pregnancy. So both of those times were just the right time. So thank you so much. Thank you everyone for listening and tuning in with me today. I have to be honest and say this podcast took me nine hours to record. (laughs) I kid you not. I started this morning and I've had to pause and go tend to the baby. And then I came back to the pod and answered another question. And then then Dennis had to go pick up Leah from school because she forgot to to get on the bus. (laughs) Like she just started taking the school bus for the first time. Today was her first time doing the whole thing on her own. And she forgot to get on the bus. And we had like a panic where she wasn't on the bus. And I was like, where is my child? (laughs) Oh my God, it was the whole thing. So you had to go get her. And anyway, now it's 8 p.m. and I'm finishing the podcast. It's just, yeah, I just have to be honest and say, whoa, I love you. Thank you for listening. (laughs) And um, I'll be back next week. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoy the show, make sure you listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes of From the Heart with Rachel Brayton. This was a presentation of Cadence 13 Studio, and I'll see you next week.